In today's episode of Warden Webster, you need to know all about our favorite community superhero, Lynn Foreman. We're getting all in our feels about our friends. And finally, we're going to talk about how you got to start setting boundaries. Welcome to Warden Webster. Hey, Ward. You mean Webster? Oh, shit. <laughs> Keith, I don't even know my name on name today because I am tired. Who am I? What is going on? It took you a, It took you two tries to do your intro, which is not like you. I Bianca. don't know. I can't even blame the weather. Maybe I can. I am just in a fog um, this week. And so I don't even want to say, cause I was about to say, you know, I just got the first dose of my vaccine. Congrats. <laughs> and maybe I am excited. I, I got, I got that there. Pfizer. It was easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. Um, but now I'm wondering if like, <laughs> do I have vaccine fog? I don't know, but so- yeah. I got the Pfizer as well. There was no immediate response, but I did feel like I got a headache maybe a week into it. So mm. keep your fingers crossed. I felt like my arm had punched, somebody had punched me in my arm. So similar to like the flu shot right after. Um, but we've been good. And by the end of the week, um, all the grown folks in my house would have been vaccinated. And so I am really excited about that. Um, yeah, because we've come a long way. And so who am I not to get the things? My mama did it. Um, The husband's going to do it. Um, And he was, he was definitely reluctant. Um, So I'm glad he came around, but here we are. Um, Surprisingly enough, they, they putting that their paws on that Johnson and Johnson. Oh my God. I want to talk to you about that. How do you feel about that? I am, you know what? I appreciate them being better safe than sorry. Everything that I am listening to and reading is is continuously pointing out the fact that, um, especially as a woman, you're more likely to get blood clots on birth control than you are from this vaccine. Like they have really been throwing those numbers out there, and that is a thing. Um, but better safe than sorry. I mean, I don't know, you know. Folks were already skeptical about Johnson and Johnson mm-hmm. in the first place. Um, I'm just hoping that there isn't then more skepticism about the other two or people are like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? My biggest fear is that, you know, there's been a, a constant, not a constitution, <laughs> <What's> <laughs> a happening? constituency. There's been a constituency of people who said all along that they rush these and that they aren't mm. safe. And then by pausing j and J, I feel like that gives fuel to that argument. And my biggest concern is that this will increase people's uncertainty about mm-hmm. the vaccines. And so that's my no, concern. Fair. Absolutely. And so, but I know people who have gotten the Johnson and Johnson long before they, you know, put the pause, um, or at least in the last month or two, um, and, and all women and are saying they feel fine. And so just kind of like watching and, and being more aware, but I don't know, I want, I want folks to continue to whew, do what they need to do to stay safe, including getting the vaccine that's right for them. 
I did see a statistic that I that I retweeted on my personal Twitter that even with J and J out of the mix, it's still 99% effective um, in terms of the vaccine. So that's pretty good for any type of vaccination when you consider. Um, what and they were just um, so Pfizer was just coming out and saying that folks are probably going to need a booster in a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I have boost boost. boost. Right. What song? That's not a thing. Um, <laughs> they um and so now people are like oh my gosh you need a booster but it's supposed to I was like you need a booster for everything exactly. you get a flu shot every year because mm-hmm. you don't complain about that annual booster don't. <laughs> so I don't know people want the you know the covering of the lord in this year vaccines and I think we have to be be patient but trust science at the same time So in this segment, today's episode, our need to know is all about our favorite community heroes, um, our professional heroes that are out here in the streets, saving our lives in in more ways than one. So I am happy to bring on uh, my good, good girlfriend and favorite, just chicken a cape, just in these streets. Lynn Foreman. Hey, boo. Hey, you need to do all my introductions. Just follow me around. I, well, you know, I can do a theme song. I can, I can, I can hum you a tune. Um, So yes, tell us about all of the things. First, I want to just, how are you? How are you feeling today? how is your heart checking my temperature check my temperature baby I am um I'm doing good I'm doing good today today was a lot you know mommying warrioring Mm -hmm. all the things um but every day is a lot every day is a lot in the world of of Lanaya so but I'm okay I'm okay listen I'm about to have a drink as soon as I get off you could have brought it on as soon as I mean I didn't know I didn't know what y'all was serving today I know what we was given I was trying to make sure that I wasn't slurring when I was talking so yeah but definitely the wine is is definitely coming right after it's chilly. I might get my child to pour it since I don't feel like I'm gonna be judged and I won't call child and and family services I might get him to pour it while I'm on you are you are (laughs) how many I have three I have 19 15 and five. Oh, wow. That's great. Now, I would never have known that by looking at you because you, well, look, listen. you look like you're close to my age. Listen, I, I, I was going to say, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it'll sneak up on you. It'll sneak up on you. <laughs> I can, yeah, go away. <clears throat> so, Lanaya, tell us about your superheroing. We, I especially want to know about, tell us about Baltimore Ceasefire, how you got involved um, what it's about, the importance uh, of that movement in, in Baltimore and the community. So I'll start with how I got involved. And it's it's funny that I'm on here with you all now because I had planned on going live on my Facebook as I'm embarking on my 40th year of life. I said I was going to start talking about the things that give me purpose, right? And how, you know, you can have multiple purposes in this life. And I found that out um, by getting involved with the Baltimore ceasefire. Um, It started when I was on a very grueling trial back in uh, 2016, and it was devastating to me to be on this trial. It was a highly publicized uh, case, and I had felt like during that time I had let Baltimore down because the verdict didn't come out um, in the favor of most of us um, who were kind of watching and who were waiting to see, you know, what Baltimore was going to do. I had felt like I had let my community down. I um, 
came to Baltimore in 1999 um, when I went to Morgan State, hence the reason why I have the shirt on. I said, we're going to give you some money. So I mm. said, well, that's where I'm going. And yes, ma'am, where the money <laughs> resides. Right, where the money resides. So I said, okay, well, well, that's where I'm going. Um, hopped on campus. Like I said, wasn't familiar with Baltimore. The very, the second night that I was on campus, my parents had stayed to kind of make sure that I was good. Someone was murdered across the street, right? So at that point, my mother was like, pack your shit. We're we going to go to Rutgers down the street from the house because what we're not going to do is is this and you know I chose to stay it didn't really move me I mean it's I'm, I'm from New York like we, we see it at all the time but for it to happen while I'm getting ready to embark on this next journey of my life I was just like, oh. so sign number one I needed to stay in Baltimore because I wasn't phased by that um so after you know dealing with the trial I have felt like okay well I need to do something um and he, after dealing with, you know, I had been in these streets for a little while, um, doing some work with children in Baltimore. Um, I worked, I work in the prevention realm. So I was always around people who kind of needed my assistance and who I felt like I could kind of help push to, you know, taking some type of autonomy over their lives and understanding, you know, what prevention is and self-care and, you know, being your biggest advocate, being your own biggest advocate. So I had aligned myself with individuals who, you know, were in these streets as well. Um, I had met uh, Latrice Grant and Erica Bridgeford. Um, I met Erica through Latrice. Erica is one of the co-founders of the Baltimore Ceasefire. So when the uh, riots happened uh, back in 2015 and 16, I kept saying to myself, well, I'm out here working with these kids. I need to try to, you know, do something to curb some of this violence like what what can I do to kind of do my part to, to curb violence in um, the city that I love so much so um, I got in touch with uh, Latisse we um, Latrice I always call her Latisse her name is Ellen G that's what I, I'm gonna call her um, but got in touch okay. with her said you know how do I be a part of this movement she said come to a meeting came to a meeting um, at the time I was in uh, southwest Baltimore which is Edmondson Village um, I was living there. My husband is from there. Um, a lot of our family is still in Emerson Village. And I said, I wanted to have a, I wanted what I did to have a, a huge focus in the village because I saw the murder rate in the village just was ridiculous. I mean, my neighbors were getting murdered around me. People were scared to come out of their homes. I am just all willy nilly living my life because you know, to do this kind of work, you can't be afraid of your people, right? Mm -hmm. So I was never in a situation or never in the frame of mind of thinking that, you know, I have to be afraid because Baltimore's murder rate is so high, I can be next, you know? Um, in the climate that we're in now, there's, there's always a such thing as you can be next, you know Absolutely. what I mean? And it's, it's not necessarily just a Baltimore thing. It's an everyday black man, woman, child thing that you can be next. So I never lived my life like that. I always kind of felt like I'm never going to be afraid of the people that I'm out here trying to help. So getting involved in the Baltimore ceasefire was kind of my way of um, giving back to a community that in some ways I had felt like I had let down with, with that trial. And um, it has done so much for me and my ability to kind of know how to step outside. I mean, I feel like I've always kind of stepped outside of myself, but this is different because when you're dealing with murder and you're dealing with, with murder the way that the Baltimore ceasefire does, um, you feel everything. Mm. So when we have ceasefire weekends, which happen um, four times a year, we are actually getting ready to have another one in May on Mother's Day weekend. Um, these are quarterly uh, kind of 
weekends, Baltimore ceasefire is a 365 movement. Um, meaning that this is something that obviously is year round, resources are year round, uh, community work is year round. But when it comes to the ceasefire weekends, it is a call for us to say that on these weekends, we are gonna affirm life. On these weekends, we are going to focus on the good of Baltimore, right? So one of my favorite things to say is that in a sea of, of hopelessness, because a lot of times when people think about Baltimore um, with a bad seed, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're the seed in the in Maryland that is, oh, that's them over there. You know what I mean? Um, so a lot of times we almost seem hopeless. And I always say like in a sea of hopelessness, you have to be that beacon of hope. So for me, I feel like, you know, I have to be some level of hope to a community that I feel like has given me so much. Baltimore is beautiful. If you tap into the richness, the culture, the, the entertainment, the food, the all of the things, you know, Baltimore is just one of those places that once you you come here, it is ingrained in you. You know, it's a part of your spirit forever. And depending on what you do with that feeling, will move you and Baltimore. In a, in a direction that it, you know, it needs to, to go. It needs to, it needs people that feel that Baltimore is great in order for Baltimore to really be great. So that is, I mean, and I could talk a little bit more about the ceasefire, but that is the reason why I got involved because I knew that I needed to do something for the city that gave me so much. Go ahead, B. I was just going to say, tell us then, um, you mentioned the ceasefire weekends. What does that entail? What does that look like for those who are not familiar? So the Baltimore ceasefire weekends are basically, I mean, when we first started, the first Baltimore ceasefire weekend happened in August of 2017. So when we first started with the ceasefire weekends, we were just looking for a way for people to kind of develop events um, that like I originally stated, would affirm life. So whatever that looked like, whether it be a cookout, whether it be, you know, you reaching out to a family member that you haven't spoken to in a long time, whether it be conflict resolution, whether it be, excuse me, um, doing a jump rope competition or a basketball tournament or something to that effect so that um, individuals could, could see the love and the beauty of Baltimore and that people actually can come together and, um, you know, outside of a funeral outside of a memorial, you know, individuals can come together and celebrate someone's life or people's lives while we are still alive, right? So that's essentially um, what those weekends entailed. For me, I always wanted to do things around children. So every Baltimore ceasefire weekend, we do what we call an opening rally. Um, the rallies kind of started in Edmondson Village um, with another organization. And then a friend of mine and I kind of took it over and now we lead the rallies that open up the Baltimore ceasefire weekend. And I will say that um, those weekends really show you Baltimore. They really show you how Baltimore shows up for not being here for violence, you know? And, and statistically we can see the difference in those weekends because when there is a Baltimore ceasefire weekend, the crime rate is down about 50%. So we can kind of see, you know, in a city where you're looking at like every 19 hours, someone is shot or murdered, right? During ceasefire weekends, we go 42, sometimes 72, and sometimes days 
where no one is murdered and nobody's mother gets a call that, you know, their child is no longer here or no child gets a call that their dad or their mother is no longer here. So that's essentially what those weekends are about. It's truly about affirming life in Baltimore. So oftentimes when people hear community organizer or community activist, they get this picture of something that's kind of grandiose. You know, President Obama was a community organizer before he got into politics. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, Lynn, what that term means to you. Like, how do you term community activist, community organizer? And, and, and when we say those words, what do you want our listeners to envision about the role of a community activist? So for me, I would say when I, when I hear activist, I kind of think the same things that other people do. Somebody who's out here on the front lines, working to improve the lives of those around them, right? Or working to affirm the lives of those around them. And essentially for me, that's that's what I'm doing. I've never called myself an activist. I think, um, you know, I think of D-Ray and, um, or is it LeRae, whatever it is, I can't remember what his name is, Blue Vest. That's who I think about, you know, when I'm thinking about, um, you know, activism, Martin Luther King and, you know, Angela Davis. Those are the type of people who I'm thinking about when, when I think activists. For me, I'm just doing what I feel like um, will serve my community. So I say I'm more of a servant than an activist because I feel like, you know, my job and my, my purpose is to serve my community in ways that they don't always get served. So a lot of times, you know, we don't always know what love looks like. You know, a lot of times, even when you're in violent situations, you look at that as love. You know, when you're in a situation where, you know, I've talked to young girls who have said, well, my man, a killer nigga for me. That's what you think is love. So for me, it's changing that narrative, right? So love doesn't have to look like violence. Love doesn't have to look like hurt in order to feel like maybe that person, you know, cares for me. Love is, it's an action word. So for me, I'm always like, okay, well, I have to get out here and show my love as opposed to telling my love. So yeah, for me, it's, it's service more than, than um, activism. I have to say that your love of Baltimore, your passion for this work, it's infectious. It really does come through in your words. And I just, I couldn't let the moment pass without acknowledging that. Oh, thank that. you. Have you ever, have you ever considered Politics. Yes or no? So let me let me tell you. Let me <laughs> tell you why. No. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. So I don't really have time now. Now we all have you know skeletons in our closet. I don't need nobody Especially telling us Bianca that. Ward. Listen, listen. And that's so, why I'm glad there was no um social media and and camera honey, phones back in my youth, honey. Because what I don't need is somebody be like, oh yeah, you know, I stuck with her in college. Me too. Like I need all that like I just want to be able to live my life and you know and and to me you know I don't I don't want to have to play by other people's rules you understand what I'm saying like I I I want to create my own lane move in it if people want to come and join my lane with me cool but I don't want to have to play by your rules in order to get things done so that's one of the reasons why I'm like, nah, I don't want to be a poly aside from, you know, the creepers coming up from behind you from the past. Um, the reason that I, I keep thinking about if I had to go to court in Baltimore and who do I want sitting on that bench? I would mm -hmm. want someone 
that has your mindset. I would want someone who understands the community the way that you understand the community. Not that I'm trying to get you into politics per se, right, right. but you are the type of person that needs to be in those roles as opposed mm -hmm. to people who have no empathy for the people that they are passing judgment on or the people that they are rendering some sort of verdict against. It, I always think about, you know, who do we want to have in these pivotal roles, police chief, school board, mm -hmm. judge, whatever it is. And I think that as black and brown folks, we have to consider if those types of roles are where we maybe want to be. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I definitely do. And maybe when I'm in my seventies and I don't really give a shit about what people say, I might go ahead and say, all right, well, let me go ahead and run for, you know, city council or. Because I do believe that by 70, nobody give a shit. Listen, and I'm <laughs> no, almost there. Sure. I told you I'm teetering on that zero. I'm teetering on them, them girl. I'm almost there. So I, I, and I might even say, let me give me about 59. By 59, I might be like, all right, I'm ready to run. Cause I don't care. At that point, he might be dead. So he can say whatever his mama can say, whatever she, you know, at that point. I'm not going to do this with you today. Yeah. I am, but I'm not. Just saying. Just so saying. let's, <laughs> so I want to talk about one of your other pivotal superhero roles, and that is in um, prevention. So um, for those who are listening, we met through our HIV work um, out in the streets, doing the things, um, swabbing the mouths, pricking the fingers, getting yes. people into care, all of that. And so um, tell us about kind of your public health work, specifically getting these Black folks vaccinated, because I heard you're the plug. Listen, listen, and being the plug is a full-time job. Let's let's full be time. clear. Being that my phone was just ringing a minute, I'm going like, how you get my number? So y'all out here giving my personal number now? But um, nonetheless, so this is a whole nother avenue. So I kind of, you ever been voluntold that you're going to do something at work? That's kind of where I am. So I, um, <laughs> I've always been prevention. I, I've been in uh, HIV prevention care management for 17 years now. So that's always been my majuj. <laughs> like that's where I, what I, I, that's where I'm fly at. But um, when it comes to the vaccination, it was just another step for me. It was another step to get my people to understand like, this is you taking control of your life, you know, like just like prevention is just like being, you know, conscious of, you know, your sexual health, your sexual history, where you want to be. This too is a part of, you know, you taking control of your life. So when it comes to vaccines, like, you know, you have all those, those misconceptions out there. We're still getting them now that Johnson and Johnson don't. You know what I mean? Fumbled mm -hmm. the ball a little bit, but we don't even know if they fully fumbled it. So, you know, I ain't gonna put that out there. But, um, you know, there's so many misconceptions out there. And I feel like there are times when, you know, I have to really be the one to be like, yeah, well, I mean, niggas have done you wrong all your life and you still keep running back to them, right? So well, let's go ahead and do the things that we need to do to keep ourselves safe, right? So see, Isaiah, Isaiah he ain't know I was, I was raw like this. <laughs> But that's why we love you. <laughs> but you know, I, and I, 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 that's what I lead with. Cause I get a lot of people who say things to me, like, you know, I'm scared. I'm a little worried. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I'm just trying to be cautious. You never know what these, they might be putting the chip in you and this, that, and that. And I say, but you use your cell phone every day, man. Yeah, you you sure use your do. cell phone every day. And it's definitely mm -hmm. a chip in that. So they you put your you social have. security number down on all the things. Thank you. On and you're on things. Facebook all the time, posting all, everything about your life. <laughs> all the time. And, and outside of that, you know, if we're going to get raw and uncut, the, when I'm talking to the men and I'm like, you know how many times you don't put your mouth, you don't, you put your mouth on things that you don't know where it's been. 
You have no At idea all. what's in it. You don't Mouth, know what's in it. Penis. That's a whole all, episode right all there. All those things. <laughs> you put it on all those things. Even talking to you, when we we talking about, you know, the things that you smoke and you putting in your body and you don't know what it is. And we what is triple OG Koosh Fruity Red? But like, what is all that? You don't know what that is, but you put it in your body to make you feel good. So why not put something in your body to add a layer of protection for mm. what you already see around you is going on? It's so, an excellent, it's an excellent point, really. Yeah. It's it's very true. And I and I think that with that, you know, a lot of times for us, and by us, I mean black people. We need to have it. We need to have it dealt to us the way that we can understand it. You know, like we need to. When I'm talking to you and I say things to you, like, okay, so you ain't never put nothing in your body that you you wasn't too sure about. You ain't never put nothing in your body you wasn't too sure about. You was drinking Red Bulls like they was water last week. You ain't never put nothing in your body you wasn't sure about. Red okay, Bull, so. Cisco, all that. Mad Dog. What is in Mad Dog? What, what is in Mad Dog? What is in Boone's Farm, <laughs> honey? And I was drinking that like. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, for me, and I, let's be clear, I was a skeptic too, because at the end of the day, you know, this is all new to all of, we are all in a completely new arena. We don't know sometimes whether we're coming or going while we're dealing with this pandemic. So it's all very new to us. But what is not new is how people are dying. That's not new. What's not new is the number of people who have lost their lives to this pandemic. And and unless, you know, they say, oh, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't know how it's going to make me feel. You cannot feel nothing ever again if you don't take this vaccine. You could feel nothing. You could feel dirt. That's what you could feel. So let, let's let's step outside of our own, our, get out of our own way, in a sense, and, and focus on what, what could truly help us. We're going to put a link to the organization in the description, but other than giving money, and we do want people to give money to Baltimore Ceasefire, mm-hmm. how do you want people to get involved if they want to get involved, particularly if they're in the DMV? So I would say, um, you know, obviously follow the website, BaltimoreCeasefire.com. We want you to follow um, the website. Obviously you can donate, but for me, it's more or less getting the word out. I tell people every Ceasefire weekend change your profile picture and support. You don't have to live in Baltimore to support support Baltimore. You understand what I mean? You don't you don't have to to live somewhere to support a cause or to support something that you know it is truly there and good for the people. And you know, I would say continue to pray for us. Continue to to lift us up. Send us light and love, you know, in in everyday travels and as you're excuse me, thinking about Baltimore and you're hearing things about Baltimore. There's one thing I didn't mention to you all, but um, you know, one of the hardest things about the Baltimore ceasefire is this thing called sacred space uh, rituals. And what that is, is when someone passes away, we go to the space where that person was murdered, right? So we go to that space and we do a ritual and that ritual can, can consist of saging the space. It could consist of family members coming out and speaking about the person. It's just a place, it's just a moment to be able to not leave that place but to bring it up in love and light. So the last thing that that place sees is not murder and devastation. It's love and light of people who actually love that person and who wanted, you know what I mean? Who wanted them to still be here with us. So I would say if people want to do something, you know, when you look at the calendar and you see that there's a sacred space ritual and you know you want to take a drive and you just want to come up and kind of see what Baltimore Ceasefire does, come out to one of those rituals and really truly understand the passion behind this work because it, it takes a lot to be in those spaces. My last question, what's one word to describe why you do what you do? One word. Um, 
Hmm. That's a good question because no one has ever asked me. You're that. welcome. Right. Thank you. Um, honestly, there, there's, there's, <laughs> there's two words. See, I would that's say. not, that's not how we go. Just people want. Okay. So one word, one word, family, Perfect. family. That's the reason why I do what I do. When you are a, a mother, um, a wife, and you have a black mm. husband and you have black mm. children, um, regardless of what you may be struggling with, the biggest part of your life is to make sure that they are okay, mm-hmm. right? And so if I'm creating a space in Baltimore that produces love and brings love and it shows love, then in turn, my family will will witness love and understand love and, and know that no matter what, I was doing this from a place of love. So I would say family is one of the main, because Baltimore is my family too. Everybody in Baltimore. If you know me and you get, if you see me in the grocery store, most people will be like, how you know that person? You don't know her? I'm like, yes, I do. Because she bag my groceries every day. That's Tasha. That's my girl. Mm. So I, I would say family. Amen. What a gift. <laughs> just thank you thank you thank you um thank you you know for just being dope in these streets literally saving lives and saving lives and you have been for years and I know Baltimore appreciates that I know um Anacostia appreciates that when you um pushing that vaccine down the streets and getting the people in to do the things that they need to do so we appreciate you and thank you for thank you for your service Look, I appreciate it. Thank you all. And and Mr. Webster, it was wonderful meeting you. Likewise. Thanks for coming and bringing some love this way. <laughs> no problem. Love you guys. Y'all enjoy the rest of y'all evening, okay? All right. Take care. You too. All right. That was an excellent conversation with Lynn. Love that she came on. Love her. She's amazing. Um, all right, let's move to all the feels. And this week we're talking about friends. What are these? That's literally what it says on my agenda for this show. What are these? What are friends? And I think what we mean by that is when we say all the feels, how are we feeling about friendships? Are they friendships? Are they acquaintances? Are all of these friends on our social media accounts really friends? Now, B, we had this conversation kind of on the periphery a little while back when we talked about social media, but now we're gonna talk about friends themselves. Mm-hmm. Draw distinction in your in your circle between acquaintances and friends, and then I will tell you what I do because you will want to know. I would want to know, but this this came up um, partially because after our last, after you were shading me about all of my social, my Facebook friends, yes, I would never shade you. (laughs) You have me feeling some kind of way. So literally that weekend, I went through my friends list and I was cleaning out some folks. So um, 31 people got chopped. So, you know, I, I know. That's a low number considering you had like, what, 900 friends? Mind on your there? business. But you know what it also was too? Not even to be morbid, but even when I was going through the list, there were quite a few folks that have passed away, but I'm still keeping their still friends with them or, or keeping, you know, their profile up because I want to see and reflect close friends, what have you. Anyway, but it really just got me to thinking, even as I scroll through, like, who in this timeline or who in this list are really my friends versus my acquaintances? So how I differentiate is how much am I going to tell you about myself? Mm. So I think that would mean that all of our listeners are then my friends because I'm putting all the, 
<laughs> all my business out here. Um, who do I, who do I call when I am in trouble? Who, who do I reach out to in the middle of the night when I need, um, guidance, support outside of the husband, because yes, he really is, is honestly my best friend, but just kind of who is that, that ride or die, that circle versus people that I keep on the periphery, peripheral, that thing on the outside of, of the circle where I am not giving you all of me. And so I think that that's kind of how I differentiate the two. That makes sense. You know, I don't know that I have acquaintances. I just have a small circle of friends because I use that term um, very, very <clears throat> um, loosely. What's the opposite of loosely? I use that very strictly, very tightly. Collectively, <laughs> we are struggling with the words today. Vocabulary is a struggle today. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I have very few friends, but I use that term very tightly. And I wouldn't even call you a friend, Bianca. I would call you a sister. And so to me, when we move from friendship mm -hmm. to like the sibling label, it's even deeper. So yeah, I don't have acquaintances. I, I too, like I, I would, I have acquaintances, but I also know um, about myself. Somebody told me a long time ago that I collect people. <laughs> <laughs> that I just like like what like trophies <laughs> like like old rugs what what are we talking about <laughs> like stained shot glasses like <laughs> zoo I love people I attract people I hold on to people um so it is really hard for me but then even the people that I'm I am attracting there's still kind of that fine line between how much of them I'm letting in but when I'm thinking again going back to the Facebook list of folks I was looking and I was like man those are some my former co-workers who I'm still very close with or classmates or like I just think through our lives we just kind of collect people in just different parts of our journey since I became a mother I I collected a whole group of mom friends that I don't think I would have had before um but everybody is kind of I don't I was about to say serves their purpose but that sounds inappropriate <laughs> You know, when I think about it, and I don't know how you're going to feel about this, among my gay friends, my gay male friends, I think my closest friends have all seen me naked. And that's not to say that we've done anything. We've just been in situations where they've had an opportunity to see my body. And so, and same, I've seen theirs. So I feel like for my gay friends, you know, you're close to them when you've seen them naked. <laughs> and they're going to kill me for sharing that. Now I have to think. Which of my, see, okay, there we go. That then narrows it down because there which are- friends, How many of your friends, I'm not going to say which, how many of your friends have you seen naked? A few, <laughs> not a whole lot. Bianca. But a few, yes, because, okay, so my mom put me on to, we like the Korean spa. So we go- I and, love a good spa. Oh, yes. And so I have gone with some of my friends. So I have then seen them naked. Hmm. The reason that I say it is because it really requires a level of comfort with someone, anyone, whether you're intimate with them or not, if you're comfortable enough to let them see you naked, then that's someone that you would share intimate things with, or you would talk to or confide in. And so for me, I think that's a good way of, of thinking about it. If you have seen me naked, we are close Judy's. And I know that there's some friends out there who haven't seen me naked that are questioning our friendship. Please don't do that. You know, just that don't do that. <laughs> because that is, but that is real. I have some 
I can probably think I have some family that haven't even seen me naked. So, and I would say there's like, I have, oh, now that is, hold on, the whole scene naked thing. I have to think about that because I have some people that I am, that I am very close to um, who, if maybe I ask them, hey, would you like to get naked together so that, so that we know that this is real? <laughs> they may say Oh my yes. God. <laughs> Now, um, what about ending friendships? Is that hard for you? Is that something you've had to do? Do you think it's similar to ending um, love relationships? How have you dealt with that if you've had to deal with it? I have. Um, I don't think we give that enough credit. I don't think we talk about that enough. There's an episode, and I'm going to try to find it and, and post it, of Dope Labs, which was one of the podcasts that I love, where they talk specifically about friendships and the science behind friendships and how we don't give them enough credit. Because some people are friends or best friends with somebody long, far longer than they are with their spouse or whatever. And so when those friendships end for any reason, that can be heavy. Like... Um, it's a different type of breakup because maybe that person has seen you naked. They, they know the intimate parts of you. And so for it to end is tough. I, I had, and I will say this when friendships end without closure, that is another layer. So I had a friend, right. Who I thought I thought we were very close and I thought it was, it was going to be a long friendship because we had known each other from high school, et cetera. And she then distanced herself and I never understood why. And so even when I would reach out like, girl, Hey, like there'd be no response. I, I got ghosted. I got ghosted by her friend. I would put her name out here and put her on blast, but I am not petty. Um, but to this day, it hurts a little bit. It hurts a lot of it because I, I was under the impression that we were close and that we were going to be friends for a long time. And so, um, but there are some friendships that I've ended too, where you just feel like it's not a mutual exchange. You never want, you know, sometimes you have those friendships where you feel like you're giving more than you're receiving, where it's not reciprocal, where the person just wants a lot from you. Um, and if I wouldn't, if I wouldn't tolerate that from a romantic partner, I don't know if I can, it's even harder to do that with a friend. You want balance. Yeah, I agree. I've been very fortunate. I haven't had to end very many friendships and a lot of the close friends I have, I've had for, you know, since I was in college, which at this point would be, you know, two decades. And so I've been really fortunate in that regard. <clears throat> Um, however, I will say when you're when you're a gay man and most of your close friends are other gay men, you're constantly, not constantly, but sometimes you fall into this, am I having feelings? Am I not having feelings? Is it still platonic? Is it not? Because mm. you know that line can sometimes get blurred. Um, and it doesn't happen frequently, but there have been times where, you know, the two things are so closely aligned that you really have to keep things into perspective. One thing I don't do, I don't sleep I with my friends. I was just going to ask like, you that if you've dated any of them. A lot of people, no, 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 because that's the pathway to drama and you don't need to drama, especially when queens are involved. But I feel like a lot of folks, I've seen a lot of people go off the rails when they mix the two. I really do feel like, you know, you got to keep those two separate as, as best you can. You know, Bianca, and not to get too blue on this show, there's plenty of, you know, dick and ass out here in these streets. You don't need to be sleeping with your friends. <laughs> but I, I think there is, but there is something to be said for, 
I, I can see how that that relationship can can blur, right? Because you are being vulnerable with another person who happens to be your friend. And so it's like, ooh, do you take that a step further? Like we are very close and clearly there's something about you and your personality that I am very drawn to. I confide in you, all of those things. We have probably seen each other naked. Is it just time to hump? It takes a lot of discipline. Mm. Um, and particularly when you're like me, you surround yourself with smart, beautiful people. I believe. It's just, it's a constant struggle. <laughs> I am proud that I am proud of you. Uh, do you segregate your friends at all? Do you keep close friends in one circle, ratchet friends in one circle, acquaintances in another? I do a little bit. Mm. I want to know what circle I'm in. <laughs> the ratchetry. <laughs> I have done it less though, as I've gotten older, because now I'm just like, well, we're all here. So I, I, you know, we kind of had, I remember a few times where I'm like, oh, everybody is going to collide, right? So my, my church friends, my work friends, my LGBTQIA plus friends, like we're all about to come together. What is that going to look like? Are folks going to play nice? Is there going to be yep. judgment in those spaces? Um, and then that also um, kind of oh, heightens my awareness too, because if there are judgment in those spaces from people in my circle, then do you need to be in my circle? Not saying that you have to to like and love and appreciate everybody I do, but um, I'm not going to tolerate rudeness and disrespect. Well, some groups just don't mix well. Yeah. And I always think about that when I'm pulling a group together. Good point. You know, when I saw that also, <laughs> seating arrangements. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That is a thing that exists for a reason. For a reason. When we were doing the seating arrangements for our wedding, it was um, being very strategic because that is a time, um, weddings, birthdays, big life events, that's a time when all of your friend groups merge. But I think it also shows when you do have the, that diversity of folks, um, I, don't know, I think that also gives kudos to you because it's like the understanding that they're that we're multifaceted anyway and so our groups should be as such I don't know do you separate your people I don't know that separates the right word I do think about okay we're having a happy hour who can come that's going to make this fun and who I leave off because it might be some mess and so yeah I do think about that only because I have such a diverse set of friends and I want everyone to be comfortable and have a good time they all bring something different to the party and sometimes you get the wrong elements together and they're explosive we're not looking for explosions we're looking for a nice you know, gel. And so we want everyone to be complimentary. And I think I look at it that way. I'm going for a complimentary mix of people. And so I depend, I look at, I look for complimentary ingredients. And so sometimes if you're too spicy for what I'm trying to build that night, you don't make the list. Now, if I'm looking to cause a mess, <clears throat> I'm on. And I know you're going <laughs> to set it off. Come on in here and have two drinks. <laughs> yes. That feels very reality TV show setup. <laughs> So do you mix, so do you use that same equation? Is there any overlapping of like friends and family? Because I think those are two very unique um, situations. No, no. So my friends, a lot of my close friends have met my mom and have met um, 
trying to think who else in the family that might be it. It's just my mom. So my family is very conservative, very religious, not necessarily the most affirming when it comes to LGBTQIA plus spaces. And so they're not uncivil, but I, I think I give a long and hard thought process to, do I want to have them in certain spaces? Cause I don't want to deal with, they might make a face or they might say the wrong thing. And that's just something that I'm not trying to like deal with. Um, but my mom has met my closest friends and they love her. And she was, she was amazing in that space, but you know, <clears throat> not that I want to get into it too deep on this episode, but there are several members in my family who pray, who are praying away my gay every day. They don't know you're 62. And so we can't, <laughs> we can't have, we can't have that foolishness at happy hour. Cause that's just, you know, that's just not fun. <laughs> You are here, you are queer, get over it. <laughs> um, I, they're gonna do what they're gonna do. And so I just accept prayer. I accept all forms of the prayer. I'm not trying to get you, I'm not trying to change your mind, but I'm also not trying to have you at happy hour if if this is the if this is the aura mm -hmm. that you're going to come with. <clears throat> Fair. And that is the perfect um look at us segueing into the things <laughs> as we have to also set the boundaries with some of our family members that boundaries with our family with our friends that just are not going to um, be the right ingredient for the cocktail that we are trying to create so we are moving into our next um, segment which is gotta do <clears throat> and today we are actually I am excited because um, you know, I ask every week, please share what you want us to know, feel, or do so that we can get some great suggestions. And this one came um, this week, so I'm excited. But somebody said, can we talk about setting boundaries? Setting boundaries. That's what we got it. That's what we got to do. So um, quick story. I remember when I was in, I don't know, uh, it was a while back. I was applying for a job and um, to be a case manager at a women's homeless shelter. And one of the supervisors in the interviews said, asked me, how are you with saying no? And I was like, oh, no means new opportunities. <laughs> and she was like, no, no is a complete sentence. And I was like, oh, <laughs> just taken aback because I, and then she told me in that moment, one of the things about this particular position is that you have to have good boundaries. You're talking about women who um, who have needs, who are vulnerable, who um, are going to ask a, a lot of you and you have to be able to set boundaries. And that I think was my first real lesson in saying, in saying no. Um, no is a complete sentence. I feel like you're probably better at setting boundaries than I am because I still I still struggle because I want to be nice, but I have learned along the way that there's a lot of ways to tell people, hell no. You know, all people always tell me that they appreciate my directness and they kind of know what they're going to get from me. And so because I've gotten that feedback, I haven't shied away from being direct. And if you don't have the time at that particular moment, I think it's better to say no, or, or, or it's better to say, can I get back to you? Can we make time tomorrow or next week when I can give you my full attention? Because that's what you deserve. And so oftentimes, I think the reluctance of saying no is that you feel like, what are they going to think? They're going to think I don't care. They're going to think that I'm not trying to make time. And that's not always what it is. It might just be that you can't offer your time and your investment in that moment. Um, and I think that as, as people of color, <clears throat> I think we struggle with um, saying no. I notice um, 
I statement, white people don't seem to have as much of a problem with this, frankly. Fair. Yes. And I think I have definitely, I've definitely seen that because we, I statement, I know for me, I tend to be a people pleaser. Um, so even in those, those professional spaces or those white spaces where I want people to like me or feel comfortable <laughs> with me in this space, um, I am more likely to say yes to things that I, I don't want to do instead of a hell no. But I have been learning. Well, let's think about our, our community superhero. I think Lynn would have no problem saying no or hell no. I think she would model that quite well. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> Everybody be like Lynn. <laughs> but I think it's like we want to, I think sometimes when there is that struggle with another example, I am learning not to give excuses or, or reasonings behind my no, because I think that is something that I have seen um, from people I love, from friends, et cetera. Like if I ask them like, hey, can you do such and such? Or would you like to do whatever? They will give me a laundry list of the reasons why they cannot, or you know, all of the other things they have to do. Girl, you can just say no, it is okay. I am giving everybody who is listening to my voice today, I'm going to turn on my calming voice for a minute. <laughs> Bianca Ward is giving you permission to say no without explanation or apology. Whether it's, I'm sorry, that will not work for me at this time, or I wish I could, unfortunately I can't, or I would rather not, or hell nah, or fuck that shit, I don't want to, you can say no. Complete sentence, let me ask full you, stop. Let me ask you a personal question. And this is a, this is a made up question that has nothing to do with facts of life. <laughs> Let's say you asked your husband to clean up your, your, your do. <laughs> And he said no. Um, is Hell that no. You want to know somebody who's good at saying no? It is it is Mr. Ward. Okay. So if you ask your husband to do something for you, he has he can't say no. So I'm just trying to understand what the rules here are. He cannot. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got that codicil in there. Because I have to, because I usually know that the no is coming. So the difference is his no tends to be very reflexive. Like you don't even think about it. He just, no, wait, you don't even know. Wait, hold on. Damn. Let me get the full ask out before you shut the shit down. I was um, just pointing out, Bianca, that you were giving in your very nice, sultry voice, telling people how to say no, but that, you, but Cliff cannot be, can't say no to and, you when you ask him to do something to you. Your know, <laughs> He cut in my hair. I don't give a damn. We might have to work around some scheduling. Okay. And then wait. So then a way that it could be said is, unfortunately, this time won't work. But how about we do it at this time? So that way you are not saying no. You are yes. just saying not right now. But he will just say no. But what I say is, the hell you are. <laughs> And I know he's going to listen to this. I have all the things because he is an avid listener. God bless. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's different. But what I am telling, what I am telling the folks to do um, or just encouraging people to do and just the reminder of saying no to others, another 
piece of wisdom I picked up saying no to others is saying yes to yourself because we have to um, prioritize our self-care, our well-being um, in order to survive. I think especially during this pandemic and the work from home boundaries have been a struggle. How have you been able to main, you know, maintain? Because I think people think, oh, you're at home, you can do it. Or, you know, you can, it, it's fine. You can get it done whenever because people think we have all of these free mm -hmm. time. But no, I am still out here trying to live. Mm -hmm. And deal with my own shit in the meantime. At while that I'm part. <laughs> that part. I have become better at um, closing my laptop at try to do it at the same time every day. So I, I start my workday very early because it works for me. So usually between 6.30 and 7 um, and just shutting shit down at 4.30. Like I can't, it, it will. So again, giving you more than eight hours anyway, <laughs> but just trying to find that boundary in order to create peace. That is truly our liberation. Setting boundaries, telling people no, um, and also being okay with um, okay with taking the time that we need for ourselves. And the only thing I would add, Bianca, is I think people should give themselves a little grace with this. This is something that you really have to practice and I think mm -hmm. learn how to do, particularly with <clears throat> close friends, because I think about friends that may ask me for a favor, or ask for time, and I think about all the time that yes. they gave me their time. And so my reflexive answer is yes, because I want to be there for them in the way that they were there for me. So this saying no, it really does take some time to get to the place where you kind of know when to do that, know how to do it well, and know how to do it in a place where you're holding yourself and holding that other person or other persons. Excellent well. point. Excellent point. Because I too find myself saying yes to things that I may not want to do because somebody has done for me. And again, wanting absolutely. Yeah. Wanting there to be equity in the and balance in those friendships and those relationships. Um, whether whether it be friends, family, co-workers, you want it to, you know, you know, you want to be able to reciprocate. But at the same time, I have learned, I can say no to them kids. <laughs> you know what? Yes. Just think about, just imagine you're talking to your kids. <laughs> Not now. Never. Okay? Never. <laughs> Hell no. Um, and, being, and being okay with that. But I think you're absolutely right. It takes practice. But I think what we are encouraging uh, what I would like to encourage people to do is say no without apology and be okay um, and be okay with it. We are in a time where we have to take care of ourselves, no matter what that looks like. And sometimes that's simply like saying no and setting those boundaries. What we don't want you to say no to is Warden Webster, though. Go ahead. Mm -mm. Don't say no to mm -mm. us. Devil. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. I think this is episode eight. We are just making good time with this show and we are having the time of our lives um, coming to you every week. We want to thank Lynn Foreman for joining us today, for being our very first community superhero. There will be more superheroes joining us in the future, but we want to we want to give her her flowers and thank her for her time today. Also, remember, every Saturday, new episodes of Ward and Webster will be produced and released. So follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Ward and Webster.
We have one week remaining for our April book, which is All Boys Aren't Blue. This is our book club. We'll be discussing the book on next week's episode. So if you haven't finished the book, finish it. Send us any questions or comments in the direct messages, and then we will be discussing it on next week's episode, April 24th. Did I forget any plugs? I think that is everything, but also continue to send us your adorable pictures of you reading the books. I am. Oh, yes. I love it. I'm loving it. This is exciting. I am. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. And next week, I believe we're also revealing. Is it next week we're going to reveal the May book? Yes. Oh, shit. I need to decide what that is, huh? So I just gave Bianca a reminder, but next week we'll be dis- we'll be re- we'll be unveiling the May book as well, so you can get ready for the May book. So I love it. We're excited. I love it. I am Bianca Ward. I'm Isaiah Webster. <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where that came from. You like that? <laughs> Bye. See you next week. Thank you.